Hey, 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 this is Diva with the Diva Show. How y'all doing today? It's a beautiful day out. We have an opportunity to enjoy some beautiful weather today, these past couple of days. And I just wanted to come to you all with the Diva Show. We have a very special, special guest with us today. And um, I'm ready to introduce him. You know, usually the show, we start at 12 noon on Thursdays and we go from 12 noon until 2 p.m. But today we're starting just a little bit later. So I'm thanking you all for, uh, like I always say, rocking out with the Diva Show. You have been supporting me for quite some time now and I truly appreciate it. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you. See, look at me, I can rhyme just a little bit, just a little bit. Introduce to you, Mr. Dave Scarpello, AKA the Italian Stallion, AKA Funk Wizard Snow. So tell us, um, uh, what have you been up to lately? Now, I, you know how I do my interviews, but I'm just gonna just ask, what have you been up to um, as far as your your move, are you loving it? Uh, like a thousand percent. Which you know, which you know is crazy, and, and for real, everybody know because I'm like Captain Philadelphia, right? And I'm always like, I'm dying here. I ain't never leaving. I'm gonna be here for my whole life, and I and I really believe that. So for me to up and leave and come to a whole new state where I don't have any friends to work for a, a company making non-alcoholic beer. I had to like really, really believe in that company to do that. And, and it's worked out amazing. Like I didn't know it, but my apartment, it turns out it's like a half a mile from the beach. So I walked to the beach. Um, I'm in a Spanish speaking neighborhood. So, all, you know, I, I got all of my mommies around me. Like, you know, it's like, I like it. Yeah, Bridgeport is, Bridgeport is cool. I like it here. I know how you love to have the mommies around you. Oh my gosh. Hola, yes, indeed. <laughs> and, and listen, you know, I am a beach lover. So I can't even imagine being that close to the beach and being able to enjoy it on a regular basis. I feel like my whole life is on, like, I'm on vacation. Wow. Like, I'm waiting for it to go back to the way it was. It's not. It's I not. Know, and, that, and that's crazy. And it still has been almost a year, and it still hasn't sunk in, because I'm so used to having stuff and then having it taken away, that it's almost like my reflexes is like I'm, like I'm waiting. Like, I still haven't been able to, like, completely chill yet. But I, it's I but it's amazing. Listen, I see the pictures and I see your expressions of, of every moment, you know, with your move. And it's like, I'm moving with you. Like, like I'm enjoying the walks that you have in the morning and the decor that you show. But I'm not going to go too much into detail about it because we want to talk about it a little bit later. This okay. is Diva Gordon with the Diva Show. We're talking to Ave Scarpello. AKA the Italian Stallion, AKA Funk Wizard Snow. So Dave and I have a history. So we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that. Dave and I have a history. We go all the way back to grade school, right? Yeah. And um, one of, because you had many memorable moments, 
But one of my most memorable moments is when you walk through the audience in an auditorium. Well, our auditorium, what we had at Amy Six. Um, right. When you walk through the auditorium and you went up front and did like a whole magic show. And it's like you did it with such confidence at such a young yeah. age. You know what I mean? Because a child around that age would be very intimidated to be in front of a lot of people, but it was more or less like, yeah, I got my magic and y'all gonna watch me do this. <laughs> oh, right, right. Like, and I, I was just born that way. Like I never, I never had a period where I was uncomfortable being in the spotlight. Obviously oh, doing this podcast right now. <laughs> Listen, it, and it's a it's a good quality to have because so many people do lack confidence and they miss out on opportunities that way. And we, we're going to get into a little bit of your confidence that landed you a major, major opportunity. Yeah. So, so while we met at grade school and uh, we graduated from Amy Six, I didn't even know that you were going to FLC. I had no idea. Um, and you were, uh, I think, a grade or two, maybe. Uh, yeah, I was one year ahead of you. Yes. So it was like I walked into the lunchroom at Franklin Learning Center, and you were over there basically annihilating people, like, with your rap, you know what I mean? It, it was so many lunch periods that people could do you're only supposed to have one some of us wound up having two and three because we didn't want to leave because you was killing it it was so how did it come about about me being a, a rapper yeah getting into rap what made you want to do rap so so actually with the whole if you take the whole hip-hop thing i started writing graffiti when i was seven years old um because i i was a, always an artist like always been a performer of some kind whether it's in the camera with my art photography whatever it is just creative stuff so for me being there in the beginning because you know modern graffiti started in philly in the late 60s and and really, I, like I wasn't famous, not at all, because I was a little kid. But I was one of that first wave of graffiti writers, so that was my introduction to the hip hop culture. But and actually, what didn't even exist at that point, it wasn't the hip hop culture yet. But then with the rappings, the thing that really changed my life was I'm 12 years old, listening to WZZD, Wizard 100 mm -hmm. AM radio. And they played a song called Rapper's Delight. And literally, it was like a movie moment, the, mo the moment that changed my life. And I, and I said, I knew right at 12 years old, I'm like, there's going to be my life before I heard this song and my life after I heard this song. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. If I, don't, if I don't make the Phillies, I'm going to be a rapper. And I'm just going to like be a famous rapper. And... You know, that was at a time where people didn't even in the beginning thought that the rap records were a fad. It was like, hey, you can be a rapper. Like, you can't sing. You need singing to fall back on. So you had that. And then on top of that, everybody's like, you know, you're not black, right? 
And I'm like, I do have a mirror. Because, you know, back then, people were, <laughs> you don't know, people really thought, they were like, people, especially Black folks were like, but how, but you don't have rhythm to rap, you have to be Black. And I was like, I'm about to show y'all different. And, you know, people were just like, you're Italian. I'm like, I'm going to be the first Italian rapper. Watch, but, you know, and and I still had that confidence and and... And it's funny because to me, it was a non-factor, but everyone now is interested in it. And they're like growing up in Germantown and being in North Philly and whatever. They're like, you're like in the early days of hip hop. It's basically like hundreds and hundreds of black people and you. And you never felt uncomfortable. And I was like, no, I'm from Germantown. Well, I'm, I'm I'm used to being around black people. Why? To me, it was just like other people that were into hip hop. Right. Um, so yeah, I had that. I had a doubt in the beginning, being Italian on top of everything else. So I did have to, you know, prove myself a little bit more, which is fine. And it got to the point where when I got to FLC, um, you know, I kind of had a few years to hone my skills. And by that time, I sort of had a little bit of reputation in the streets. And, um, you know, I was doing like you're supposed to do with a music career. You build up your rep in the streets and the house parties and the block parties. And um, so when I was in 10th grade, I joined the Universal Zulu Nation because I was just like all the way in. I used to go on the weekends, take the... Um, train to the South Bronx because I wanted to go against the MCs from New York City because I'm like if I'm going like in basketball right when I wanted to be better in basketball I didn't play in my neighborhood right I went down to Diamond Street to the projects and just waited for next because I wanted to go against the seven footers that were going to dunk on me because if my game is going to improve my attitude is always I got to go against the best so when I felt like I was on par with the best in Philly, I'm like, now I got to go to the birthplace. And I, I did that. And, you know, and I got my butt handed to me sometimes, but it was a learning experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in, in high school, hip hop was only on the radio one time a week. And that was Lady B show on WHAT. And mm -hmm. I remember being at Franklin Learning Center and telling people like, make records. I'm past that. I'm gonna make records. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be on Lady B show. I'm gonna be one of her street beat MCs. I'm gonna, I'm going on tour, run DMC. I'm performing at the Apollo Theater, and everybody's like, slow down, little Italian man. Like, how about you just build your reputation? I'm like, same thing. I'm like, if I'm gonna be a rapper, I'm gonna be the best rapper that ever lived, or at least I'm gonna die trying. And, you know, and people laughed at me and I understand why, because it was it, it seemed so implausible and so ridiculous. Um, Not really, but then it was and, and then and then it happened. And, and the way that it happened was because of Lady B. So there was the moment in my life when I heard Rapper's Delight. And then there was the next moment was my life when I met Lady B. And she was the first female to ever make a hip hop record to the beach hall, TEC Records, 1979, Philly hip hop first, 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 including New York, 
first female rapper on wax as a solo artist in history. You know, you just said something that our young kids don't even know anything about. You said the youngest, I mean, the first on wax, they don't even understand what you mean by that, but I know what you mean by oh, that. Yeah, that's that black thing that spins around, you see in the video. <laughs> um, so, she had a show on WHAT, was popular. We all tuned in on Saturday afternoons, had our cassettes ready, because that's what we would listen to during the week. And she was the queen of the city. So she was like the top dog. She just ran everything. You know, and with, like you said, my confidence, I was like, she's a top dog. I need to be with her. Mm -hmm. So there was a, by, by the time that I linked up with her, her show was so pop popular on AM that she moved to Power 99. And there was one week where she was like, yeah, I'm leaving to go to Coatesville High School to do a party as soon as this is over. So I figured that means that she's got to, as soon as she gets off the air, go right to her car and be out. So right. I'm like, she's going to be coming out to the parking lot. So I basically went up and stalked her and waited for her to come out. Right. And BJ in the morning was her boyfriend at the time. And he was like, oh, can I help you? I'm like, yeah, I'm here to see Lady B. He's like, you want an autograph? I'm like, no, nah, I want an <laughs> autograph. I'm, I'm about to be her co-host and be on her show. Right. And BJ's just looking at me laughing and smiling. And he was like, yeah, she does hip hop. Uh, I, I don't think that's who you want. I'm like, no, nah, I'm a rapper. I'm a rapper. He was like, you know, and of course, he's looking at me like, you're like little tiny ass Italian boy. You're like, you're like, you are not a rapper. And I'm swearing, I'm like, watch, watch, watch. So B comes out and he was like, B, this uh, man wants to be a uh, street beat MC and be on your show and be part of your crew. And she was like, oh, baby. She was like, thank you, but I do the hip hop show. I'm like, Lady B, I'm Funk Wizard Snow. Trust me, you're not going to forget that name. You might not have heard it before, but you won't hear it now. I'm like, I'm I'm getting ready to be on your show. Like, I didn't even ask her. I was like, I'm I was like, I'm one of the, the, the best MCs in the city. I'm supposed to be on Power 99. And she was looking at me. I'm like, just give me 30 seconds. And she was like, go. And I just, but, but I'm like innovating, rambling, pool sitting, bop, shaking. And I'm just letting it all just go in my 30 seconds. And they were like, oh my God, he actually can rap. Yes. And she wrote down the name of this lady, Miss Carol, said, call her on Monday morning. I did. I show up the following Friday. And she's like, you actually followed up. Damn, okay. And so I answered the request line. So for, from 10 o'clock Friday night until two o'clock Saturday morning was when Street Beat was on. And I just answered the phones. I was like, I might say like one shot at the end of the show, but I was not an on-air personality. I'm an intern and I answered the phones. So, you know, like the, the hip hop stuff go, is so embedded with us and being at Franklin Learning Center and being in yes. North Philly. So, and you're mentioning me battling people every day in school because everybody at Franklin Learning Center was a rapper or thought they were a rapper and, or a DJ. Um, and Tina Byers that was in my grade 
MC mm -hmm. Spike BT. Her boyfriend was this dude named Jazzy Jeff that went to Central. Yes. He turned out to be that Jazzy Jeff, right? So he was part of Grandmasters of Funk, and he actually was one of the DJs at the Class of 84's prom. Class of 84, what's up, y'all? Um, <laughs> Shout out to FLC. Right? Uh, and... Also, he DJed the uh, our prom fashion show, which of course I was in. I was one of the models. I, I insisted mm -hmm. on that. Um, and I knew Jeff from doing like the house parties and block parties, uh, you know, being in the street. So um, there was one week where I'm answering the phones mm -hmm. and one of the like the co-hosts was sick and didn't show up. And Jeff and Will were the uh, were guests, one of the guests we had on the show. And I went in the studio to pull some commercials during a break. And Jeff was like, B, well, why don't you never have snow on the radio? He's hilarious. And she's like, he, he's a little crazy. I don't know if he's like radio worthy. And Will was like, B, the man is hilarious. Just turn the mic on. So, She's like, okay, you come around here and sit down. So I sat down where the co-host normally would sit. She opened the mic out of commercial and was like, Lady B, I'm here with my boy Funk Wizard Snow, blah, 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 blah. She starts talking to me. I don't even remember what I said. We talked for, <laughs> like, we talked for like two minutes. I'm sure it was something crazy. Um, and then when, she, when we went back into music, I got up to go back in and answer the request lines. She was like, nah, baby. She was like, you sit your ass back down. She was like, this is where you work now. From now, she's like, you're not answering phones anymore. And that was it. And I ended up being her co-host, uh, opening for Run DMC, Public Enemy, Boogie Down Productions, Salt and Pepper, Fat Boys, as a street beat MC traveling around. Wow. In the early days of hip hop because of Lady B and being a street beat MC. And when she left Power 99 and went to WBLS in New York, she took me with her. And I, you know, co hosted her show and produced. When she went back to Philly and went to Philly 103.9, same thing. Reached out. She brought me back in. I was a co host again, produced the show. Um, so yeah, Lady B like fundamentally changed like the, the trajectory of my entire life just by giving me 30 seconds in a parking lot in 1986 on her way to Coatesville High School. That's amazing. And because you, you, I'm not going to say the word that the kids use that whole drip thing, but you, you give off that confidence you know, about yourself. And we were talking the other day and, you know, we were saying it's the difference between being cocky and confident, but you give off that confidence that um, a person wants to hear what you have to say. You know what I mean? Um, and it's just so amazing how just on a leap of, of faith that you went down there, you didn't know what you may have been facing. You might've been facing bodyguards or you know, some right. other kind of security or what have you, but you took a chance. And sometimes people need to understand is that's one of the things that you have to learn to do is 
take a chance and you took that chance and it catapulted your career in such a way. Now, let me ask you this. Understand you were working and, and I kind of am answering my own question in a way, but I know that um, when you're working, when you're in the moment, you don't think about certain things that when people ask you questions, they think that you might be thinking about. And I'll explain. What I mean okay. by that is when you were opening for Run DMC, right. you know, and you were working with salt and pepper, it wasn't like a starry-eyed moment. It was work. It was what, you know what I'm saying? Even though, you know, you may admire, admire their work or what have you, but you were up there because you had a job to do. However, you were surrounded by some A-list. Back, back in that, those days, you know, they were untouchable to people, right. you know, to actually be able to open up for them, to share the stage with them. How, how did it feel? Um, it felt really good because, like, it almost felt like an extension of high school because we were all so young. The hip hop industry was new. There were no rules. We were making them up as we went along. <laughs> um, and it wasn't even like, so I knew that what I was experiencing was legendary. And I knew I was cognizant in the moment, like, I have to take all this in because this is going to be like history in the making that I'm getting a witness firsthand. I knew that. But even though I knew like how monumental it was and it would be, there was never, like you mentioned starstruck, I never felt that because most of the other, the people in the groups that I was touring with, we were all pretty much the same age. And, and in my mind, and again, it goes with the confidence, the only difference between them and me as rappers were that people heard of them and they hadn't heard of me yet. But I was just as good as KRS-One. I was I just know, that's right. in my mind. So to me, it wasn't like I felt, I mean, I did feel blessed to have the opportunity to go on tour, but I didn't feel like I'm this little guy and I have this great opportunity to open for Run DMC. I was like, I should be opening for Run DMC. I'm <laughs> pumped with the snow, I'm from Germantown. Yeah, of course I should be here. I earned this. Um, so yeah, I have a really good, clear memory too because it didn't get clouded by like feeling like that starry feeling or, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Like it wasn't like a, like, like a fan moment, you know what I mean? Right. Like you said, it was work. Like we had fun. We played a lot of pranks. We, we definitely had, we just had all kinds of fun on tour. And, but it was, but it was fun. But it, like you said, it was work. It was work. Like, you know, you, when you got on that stage, it was, it was, you were clocking in, you know, it didn't matter. Right. It didn't matter if you were out partying until five o'clock in the morning, you still had to clock in when, it, when they handed you the mic. You know, you had to watch what you eat because if you, you know, you gain too much weight, you might get short of breath and then you can't get your rhymes out on time. And that's a big deal when you're rapping live in person in a concert. 
So yeah, it I was definitely so. a, it was definitely a job. You know, you just mentioned I never even thought about that part of it. Now I I I, I watch different. Well, I'll just say this: it seems that um, many people of the industry are very food conscious. That's number one. Um, many of them, I'm not going to say all, many of them are very food conscious. And um, I never really thought about it until you just mentioned that you're food conscious as a rapper, because if you eat something, you start gaining weight or something that weighs you down, it does mess with your delivery. Right. You're off in timing. And when you get off in timing, it's difficult to jump back. Now you can jump back, but you might miss some of your rhyme or you know, skip some of your lyrics or whatever, and then it sounds choppy. Exactly. So, you know, I I didn't I never thought about that. Um, I know this is going to be a difficult question. It may or may not be. Who would you say is your favorite rapper? KRS One. Yeah. Greatest okay. rapper of all time, hands down. Okay. That was all easy. Right. All right, I thought it was going to be difficult, but okay, I take that one. I, I like KRS one too. So my other question is, how did the name Funk Wizard Snow come about? What 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 helped you to make a decision to uh, have that that name? Okay, so <laughs> this is gonna be hilarious. Um so because I was there in the very beginning people had like common names like you were cool this like cool c uh you know all this stuff like that or funk this funk that uh a lot of discos so it was like so i became disco dave so my first mc name was disco dave remember but that's but I have not. So no, then it crushed my little 13 year old soul, right? Cause I'm in the streets of Germantown. I'm Disco Dave in the place to be, right? And I'm building up my, my little rep as Disco Dave. Then the crash crew comes on and I hear them on Lady B show. And he's like, Disco Dave, the amazing crash crew. And I was like, uh, there, can, there, like, I, there can be more than one Disco Dave, right? <laughs> then, and, but like, there's like Jazzy Jeff that we know the DJ from Philly, he's not the original Jazzy Jeff. The original Jazzy Jeff is MC Jazzy Jeff from New York who preceded Jazzy Jeff. But right, it's another thing where like, like you can have more than one person come up with the same name. So I was like, that can never happen again. I gotta come up with a name that no one in like, in history would ever come up with. Like, it has to be a name that's un, like, like nobody could just, could create it. Right. And then, so most of like DJs were like Grand Wizard, uh, Funk Master. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even though I was an MC, I was like, well, I'm a master, I'm a wizard. I was like, I should have a title like a DJ because I'm I'm going to be on the radio and be a DJ eventually. So yeah, I'm going to give myself a name like that. So I came up with Snow because being an Italian dude and growing up in Germantown, 
you know, going to the parties in North Philly to rhyme, yeah, I kind of stand out. So everybody would right. call me snowman, the snowman, you know. Um, so I was like, yeah, but there can be snow. It might be somebody else's nickname. And that did happen with the informer snow dude. And now there's like uh, a female named snow, the product that that's kind of popular. So I was like, I can't just be snow. I got to be like special kind of snow. And <laughs> so, right. I was like, and I don't want to be grandmaster because there's a bunch of grandmasters. So I was like, I love Parliament Funkadelic, like before hip hop, I was all about the funk. So I'm like, it's going to be funk something. And then I heard the song Pinball Wizard by The Who was playing on the radio in the background. And I was like, they might be pinball wizards. I'm a funk wizard. And I was like, boom, there it is. Funk Wizard Snow. Oh, and wow. Yeah, and that was it. Well, you know, it's, it's um, you had some really uh, know-how of the industry at a very young age, because just like you were saying, you know, your name was Disco Dave. And as soon as you heard it, it something, you know, triggered in your mind that I need to change my name because somebody has that name. Now, some others will just say, well, I'm better than that one. So I'm just going to make my light shine brighter than them to drown yeah. out the fact that they have the name I'm just going to be better. So it becomes this competition, you know, opposed to I want to stand out so you can have that but I'm going to change something and make it unique to me so that people can identify me so I'm definitely not lumped into some you know exactly. and I'm going to tell you that um you took a lot to, to energy to put into the name and I tell you it became a household name all over the place it was you know funk was just notice funk was just know that and then it was lady b and funk was just, it was just you know and everybody's and, 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 and to be fair, most of the credit for that goes to Lady B. Like I like like I know to this day I'm a I'm a pretty damn good rapper. But what most people know me from is from being on the radio, Lady B. You know, I think people, I think most people are like, yeah, we know he's a rapper, he can rap, but they think of me first and foremost as Lady B's co-host from the radio. Wow. So, so just I just want to make sure that I'm publicly acknowledging that the reason in hip hop that most people are, are familiar with me is because of Lady B. Okay, and and uh, I believe you mentioned before that she just received the the street that she grew up on. Yes, and West Philly, they, they like they renamed it Lady B Way. That's um, a major accomplishment. Yeah, and it's so well deserved because. The first female solo artist to put a record out in hip hop history. One of the the first hip hop show outside of the metropolitan New York City area in the world. She broke public enemy. Uh, there are so many groups that couldn't get airplay because of the politics in New York that groups came to Philly and we put them on the radio. So some groups from New York got famous through Lady B. Strictly, wow. she was the pipeline. She was Philly, that's why everybody loves her. And, and then, you know, on top of everything that she, that she had to deal with, 
with hip hop being a new genre, people associating it with violence, blah, 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 blah. On top of that, you're a female and you're black. Yes. Lady B is a bad MF. Let me tell you, Lady B is no joke. And it was a it was a privilege, right? That I was just like, yo, I get to work along, not only work alongside this person that I respected, but I'm like, I get to work alongside this black woman and see her just just knock down doors and kick everybody's ass. And it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I can I can tell you that um, like I said. The household name, the both of you, the household name, I mean, we would make sure the radios was turned all the way up, you know, and of course me, like, I was, I was geeking, I was geeking, you know what I mean, like, that's my homie, that's Dave, that's Dave on the radio, and they're like, who are you talking about, I was like, punks, where's the snow, like, don't you know, but, you know, it is what it is, um, we at, at FLC was just so proud, so proud, you know, um, you you popped a, quite a many tapes because like you said you know you could do it acapella, you know what I mean. You don't need music, and you ha and some people are coming at you with, you know they'll come up and pop their tape in, and then you got to stand there and wait until they rewind and then press forward and then try to get it right at the place where they need it, and you just you would just be standing there like, I'll be here when you're done, you know what I mean. It was it was funny, but you know. I have to admit that I missed quite a few um, classes, you know, being in the lunchroom, checking out the uh, rap battles between, and like I was saying to you before, I know you were talking about Rashid and, and, and Sheldon, how, yeah. you know, they were rapping and, and so forth and so on. And all three of you were kind of like the top notches in in um, FLC. So- but wait, but wait, I gotta say one, I gotta say one thing though. Yeah eventually but when i first got there it was the two of them and i aspired to be on their level and then the nice thing was even though i ate people up for lunch in the battles and i was vicious but for some reason me and sheldon and rashid never went at each other i think it was out of mutual respect that we kind of joined forces um and then it was a privilege to be on their level you know i felt like that was my first like real hip hop accomplishment in my mind was like, damn, I'm like, I'm like shoulder to shoulder with the greats with Sheldon and Rashid. But when I got in there, they were the top dogs. I just was like, yeah, I need a, I need a space with them. Same thing, right? If yeah. I'm going to be the best, I need to be next to the best. Exactly. Exactly. So we're going to talk about, you know, some other things detour just a little bit. So you were at basically the height of your career. Everything was going awesome. And then tragedy hit. And you were, uh, it was an attempted robbery, correct? Yeah, I got assaulted during the armed robbery. Um, so without going into the, like the, the details, basically, yeah, it was three dudes. It was an armed robbery. And they basically pulled my legs in two different directions when I was trying to get away from the dude with the gun. Because I'm like, I'm not going to let him just like, I'm not going to let you shoot me and I'm going to stand here in front of you. So I tried to get away and they pulled my legs, but they pulled in two different directions. And it basically snapped my 
back of the wishbone. So that was in 92. So I had emergency surgery within like two weeks. And then I had to have surgery again, same spot in 1994 and 1997. So, uh, wow. yeah, and that left me part like legally partially disabled. I'm, I went back to work, you know, did all like resume most of life's activities from before, but it was never the same. And so since that day when I got assaulted in 92 until now, and probably for the rest of my life, like I've never had a pain-free day. It physically, it's just a matter of the, the severity of the pain. Right. And I know uh, when we talked before, you spoke about um, the dependency of the medicine that they give. Yeah, so... You want me to break that down? Yeah, if you can, like you did before. I think okay. I think it's very important for people to to have a better understanding. Okay, so I had back surgery in '92. They put me on Percocet and some other painkillers and muscle relaxers, and then I take them, but not like every six hours. Not on not every day. I basically, when I'm in a lot of pain, I take them for breakthrough pain. And so that's what I did from 92 until 2003. 2003, I'm at a red light at Staten and Willow Grove Avenue. And you know how those, like, it's, it's like a straightaway. Yes. And those cars don't stop. So a drunk driver hit me from behind going like 70 miles an hour. And I woke up in the hospital. I don't remember the accident. I only know from what I was told. One minute I'm waiting for the light to turn. Then I'm in the hospital. I try to move my head. I can just see that like bright light, like you see in the movies. Mm -hmm. And a nurse leaned over. She was like, you're okay. You're in the hospital. You're in an accident. Um, and the doctors came in and basically had no bedside manner and we're like, yeah, well, considering the previous injuries you had from your back and now with your neck being messed up and you re-aggravating your back and the way you were like slammed around, you, you're not, you're never gonna walk again. And you're gonna have to get used to being in a wheelchair. And, and then like they bought me a wheelchair catalog, which is something you'd never contemplate in life. Like it makes sense somebody in these wheelchairs as a catalog but that's one of those moments where you're just like oh damn how did like how did my life like how did I get to this point where somebody's saying here's a wheelchair catalog and pick one out for the rest of your life that's, wow. that's crazy I can't even imagine that so I was like no I was like Get that out of my face. And I threw and I and I grabbed it and I threw it like threw it across the room. Cause mm -hmm. you know, I've been known to have a little bit of a temper sometimes in my Just younger years. Just a little bit. <laughs> um and I was like, no, I'm walking out of here. Y'all don't understand. And there, you know, it's it's good to have a good attitude, but you have to be realistic. And it's not that we don't want to encourage you, but we don't want to give you unrealistic expectations. I'm like, you don't know me. I'm not a normal person. I was like, I'm crazy. 
I'm from Germantown. I'm Italian. I was like, I could do whatever I want. I'll make my legs work. I'll make it happen. And they were just like, pick out a wheelchair. <laughs> and yeah, basically. And then I was in a wheelchair for uh, for days at the hospital. And then eventually I moved up to a, a walker and I walked out 11 days with the walker. And then they okay. like, you'll never, yeah. And then they said, you'll never, uh, you'll never walk without the walker. And then they said, you'll never walk without a cane. And then they said, you'll never walk without a limp, blah, blah, blah. So my injuries were so bad that I applied for social security disability and I got approved of, on the first try. I didn't even have to appeal because I had had so many surgeries and everything was documented. So yeah, at that point, now I'm on Percocet and methadone, which they had me on and I, I freaked out and I got offended when they wanted to put me on methadone because I'm like, I'm not a heroin addict. Right. And they explained to me that it was actually originally designed as a pain medication. It just now most commonly used to treat heroin withdrawal. Okay. So I took the doctor's word and it, and it worked for, you know, a certain period of time. And mm -hmm. um, so I suddenly was now living my life needing pain medicine constantly. Every six hours, I was on three different painkillers, muscle relaxers, all kinds. I think they had me on like 11 drugs at one time. Oh, my gosh. In hindsight, it was crazy. But the problem is they have you so doped up and you're so loopy that you don't you, you don't think rationally. And it rewires your brain after being on the opioids for so long. Mm -hmm. And so what would happen, I, I never all the years I was on them and I was on them every six hours around the clock from 2003 to 2012. That's a long time. I never took more than I was supposed to. I never was like, let me see if this makes me feel high because, and you know, I'm adopted. So I don't know biological information, but I'm assuming I don't have the addictive gene because I never took more than I was supposed to. Like, I didn't want to get high. I just didn't want to be in pain. Right. So what would happen is when it got to be near six hours, I would start to feel like that little shaky feeling mm -hmm. because even though I wasn't addicted, at a certain point, you become physically dependent. Right. Because you take, the, you take your brain, the mental part of it away. It's the way that it affects your, your chemistry. Right. So my body doesn't know that I'm not an addict. My body physically is feeling the same exact effects. So then I would just take, take what I needed at the six hour mark and then I would just repeat. And uh, I just got fat because you gain weight because you just sleep. And I stopped socializing because I was in pain, you know, because I lived alone. Um, and that makes it hard when you're in physical pain and you have mental illness like I do with PTSD and anxiety and depression, because there's nobody like 
I'm no, you know, I have the best friends in the world. You know, I love you. You're one of them. You know me yeah. since I had hair, right? right? But but it's different when you have somebody like inside the home with you to check on you. Yes. So it's easier to kind of dip out and be left alone when you live alone. So yeah, I just basically lived my life in six hour increments and, and I disappeared. And there was a, a, a day where it was like 4.30, it said on my clock, and it was a winter time. And I didn't know if it was 4.30 in the morning or 4.30 in the afternoon, because sometimes I would sleep for like 32 hours. So I didn't, I didn't even know like what time of day it was. Oh, wow. And I looked and I walked down the hallway, looked in the bathroom mirror and I was like, it was another movie moment. And I'm like, you look dead. Like I was pale. My eyes were puffy. I just, I had no life in me. And I was just like, you can't keep doing this. Like I just wasted eight years. Like I got to try something different. So I've decided, let me see if I can get off the meds which was another thing that was like them saying you'll never walk again and I did when you tell somebody that's on permanent social security disability you'll never get off the pain meds 99.999% of the time that's true you you can't you but I'm like no I'm different I'm gonna see if I can if I can like do it without them so mm-hmm. I went to the pain clinic. I'm like, this is my last time. I'm not coming back. They told me you can't do that. And then they said, you know, we, you, we have to find you a detox and then a rehab. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not an addict. I just need to get it out of my system. And mm-hmm. so he said, so what do you think you're just going to, he's like, you live alone, right? I said, yeah. He said, you're just going to go home alone. And you're just going to go through withdrawal from Percocet and methadone and the other stuff, like all at the same time, cold turkey. I'm like, not cold turkey, I'm gonna wean it down. And he was like, I don't think you know what you're in for. I'm like, I'm about to find out. And he was like, I'll see you when you come back. And he was like, good luck, but you'll be back. So discouraging. And that was it. And I went through it and it was the worst, worst, worst experience of my entire life. Like everything, it, t- it took three months before it was over. And when they say you're like trying to kick the habit, cause it feels like you can't stop moving your feet. Like you, it feels like you have like ants in your foot and you're trying to like kick them out of your body. It's, it, it's crazy. So the, the one blessing that came out of this is compassion because even though I, didn't have the burden of being an addict. Mm-hmm. I got to experience what an addict at least physically feels like. And it made me realize now I understand why people do the desperate things that you hear when people are like, yeah, crackhead tried to pump my gas for 50 cents. And, right? And we used to let, like, back when we were young and stupid, like, that was funny. But now, that's not funny because I've seen like, now I know why people are doing anything not to go through what I just went through. Um, and so even though I would, I don't want to ever do, go through that again. And it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. It, it was a blessing because it made me a more compassionate human being. 
Now that's the beautiful part of it. You know, that's the beautiful part of it. You know, um, Dave, you've always been a very strong person, you know, and the thing about it is it takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of courage to go through what you went through on every level from the doctors telling you that you were not going to be able to walk again. And it's in it, the way you're telling the story, it's like they call it Debbie Downer, but each time that, you know, you went through the rehab and everything that you needed to do, it was still, okay, well, you got this far, but just, just don't think it's going to go any further than this. And a lot of people um, go to the doctor and they get that and they accept it, you know, and, and just live that way and say, oh, well, he's a physician. He knows better, you know, but you beat the odds and you stuck to your guns and you knew this is something that you wanted for you. And, you know, I wish there's so many more people that um, were going through things such as that would share their story because um, it's encouraging, you know, to hear you give that information the way that you did, because a lot of people don't understand that sometimes it's not about the fact that they want to get high, it's that they don't want to hurt and feel in pain while they're trying to kick the habit, so to speak. And you're taking it as prescribed by a physician. It's not even like you're doing it on your own illegally. Right. So yeah, trust me, and no, go ahead. No, I, I was just reiterating that, you know, I like I said, I truly appreciate you sharing that information, not only with myself, but with my audience for inspiration that, you know, don't don't allow someone to tell you what you can't. Um, you know, allow yourself to tell them what you will and your outcome will be so much better. Just don't take that that final word when it comes to your health in any way, unless you're doing something to damage your health, then you need to start, you know, listening. Yeah. So we're going to move just, just a little bit further, but not much because after they told you that you wouldn't be able to walk, you walked with a walker. Then they told you that you was going to need a cane. And then they told you, oh, you're going to walk with a limp. But lo and behold, did they know who they were talking to? Share with us your running experience. And I'm going to say it again to my audience that's listening. I did say it right. I want Dave to tell you about his running experience. All right, so I was not born with any natural athletic talent other than I was fast. So that was it. I was a sprinter. I was fast, so I did track and field. I stole bases in baseball. I was a running back. I was safety. Like, I always played the fast positions. But, you know, I was like, I'm bare, I'm five nine now. I was like tiny when you knew me in like middle school and stuff. And I'm still trying to compete against kids bigger than me. So it was like I didn't have more talent than anybody else. I just was able to accomplish things athletically because I was willing to outwork everybody else, which mm -hmm. is basically basically how I got everything in life. Just I'm not special. I'm not different than anybody else. I'm just willing to put in the work. Really, you are special, Dave, but go ahead. 
Thank you. But it's, a, it's an easy formula. You put in the work, stuff happens. So anyway, so I was a runner in high school. You know, you know, I ran at FLC, ran at mm-hmm. 86. And but then after I got injured in 92, there wasn't much running at all. And then definitely not after 2003. But now I'm walking like. I think I walked like 25 miles one time. So I was like, wow. all right, yeah, yeah. So I was like, uh, started to creep into my mind. Like, I wonder if I could do a 5K. Like, damn, that would be so crazy if I could go back and tell the doctors that told me I never walked again. Like, yeah, I did a 5K. Right. Right? So, but, but that seemed like so outlandish and so far-fetched. And... So after I got off the, uh, the pain meds, then I wanted to lose weight. So I went to the YMCA. I lost 56 pounds in six months. And then that fall, they were having their annual 5K race. So I went to the director and I said, let me ask you off the record. Because I don't physically know if I can run. I was like, can I sign up? And if I can't run, can I walk? some of it and she was like yeah no problem we have people that walk the whole thing and it was on um forbidden drive in valley green so it was nice and flat and i was just like in my mind i'm like if i run 10 feet and then walk the other three miles i'm still like look i did a like i actually entered a race right Mm -hmm. so I didn't do any running before the race because I was afraid I might hurt myself and be out. So until before 2003, the first time I actually ran was when they said, ready, set, go in the race. Right. And then I'm in the 5K, I'm running, I'm like, oh, my legs are working. Like they're not falling off. And then I was like waiting to get cramped up. I'm not cramped up. And then I turn around, there's people behind, I'm like, damn, there's people behind me. Right, I'm starting like, what? And it's starting to like, that feeling's coming back. And I'm like, I'm waiting to get winded. But what I didn't realize is I had done so many hours on the elliptical and the treadmill, walking on the incline, the Stairmaster, the 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 bike, that my, you, you know, I had my my wind build up. Right. So I get, to the, I get to the halfway point where you turn around. And I'm just like, oh my God, I, no matter what happens now, I ran it more than half of the race. And, but I really kept waiting for a cramp or something or me to like trip over like a snake or, you know, some crazy stuff that would only happen to me. And it didn't happen. And then when I got to the, the bend in Forbidden Drive and you can see Valley Green in the distance, I knew that was the finish line and it, this flip and my brain just switched and it was the same thing that would happen when I ran like in the pen relays and you knew when you got to a certain point in a race at the end it was time to just open up and go into a full sprint but I didn't consciously think about that my body just did it from muscle memory mm-hmm. and so the pictures of me crossing the finish line I'm like hands and feet off the ground I collapsed, not because I was injured, because I was so emotional. I'm crying. Like, I just thought I won, like, an Olympic gold medal. Everybody there is crying because they knew how amazing it was. 
And and I felt as soon as it happened, I was like, that feeling that I just got crossing the finish line, I need to feel that again. Cause that's the most alive, that's the best I felt in so, so, so long. I was like, it was like a drug. I was like, I need, I need more. Like, give me some more of that. Right. And, so, and then it just, and it was supposed to be like one and done. Like, yeah, I said I ran a 5K. For real, that was, that was my plan. Then I ran a race. I found another 5K two weeks later, and I ran that one nine minutes faster. So then I was like, oh, maybe I could do a 10K. So I did a 10K and then I did the Rocky Run 10 miler. And then I'm like, no, the Rocky Run 10K. And then I did Broad Street, which was 10 miles. And when I finished Broad Street Run, I was like, okay, a half marathon is only 3.1. I could probably do, yeah, I could probably do that. So I started training for a half marathon. And mm -hmm. I was like, again, how did I go from not being able to walk? I'm getting ready to try to try to run a half marathon. Yes. But when I finished, I was in so much pain and it was so hard that people were like, next, now a marathon is next step. I'm like, no, nah, my step, that was it. I'm like, there's <laughs> no way I could do what I just did and then turn around with no break and do it all over again. Impossible. But then it happened because... I decided, oh, let me sign up for the New York City Marathon as a bucket list item to get in a lottery. And there's only an 8% chance of getting picked. And mm -hmm. I got picked in 2016. And mm -hmm. then, so I 100% assumed New York was just going to be to say I tried. And then I was running Philly as my backup plan, the Philadelphia Marathon, two weeks later. So when I got into New York, people were like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I paid for them and I'm cheap. So I'm running both of them. <laughs> and, and they were like, they were like, wait, you never, like, you never ran a full marathon. Now you want to run two of them in two weeks. And I was like, because if I run two in 14 days, I qualify for the marathon maniacs. And they were like, how about you finish your first marathon before you're a maniac? I'm like, no, I got it all set up. And and, wow, and again, there's that, that confidence again. That was supposed to be a one and done thing. And then people were like, run an ultra. And then last summer, I did my first ultra and I did 32.75 miles. Um, and I had one, one year, I think it was 2018. It was called the, the Liberty Bell Challenge. And I did it for the medal. You had mm -hmm. an extra third medal if you ran the Philadelphia half marathon on Saturday and then you ran the full marathon on Sunday. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Let's try that. Man, I got to like mile 18 of the full marathon. I was cussing myself out so bad. Listen. But I, I did. That, that's major. I'm, I'm just saying that's major, especially coming from a doctor telling you that you're never going to walk again, you know, and to pick out a wheelchair to running marathons, you know, it's so inspiring. And, you know, I'm just going to share with them how you inspired me because, you know, I, I was not, well, I was on a track team 
uh, when I was with Amy for a short time. It was, you know, very shortly. Yeah. And, you know, I would get winded and so forth and so on. So anyway, so I decided that I'm going to try this. You know, I'm, I'm watching you run and I was enjoying it, you know, the inspiration and everything. I started, you know, running, working out, what have you. And I was getting on a treadmill as well as getting on elliptical. And I said, let me go out because when I run, I'm going to be running on the side, you know, the street, not literally in the street, but you understand what I'm saying. The ground is very much different than elliptical and the treadmill. Listen, when I got out there, and I called myself running, and that concrete had no give. Ooh, baby, that's a different kind of running. Yeah. Um, and I, I said I wasn't going to give up. I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. So I did the, the same first run that you did, which was the YMCA family run. And, you know, we met there and everything, and you were giving me so many encouraging words and all. And it inspired me. I was like, yeah, I got this. I'm going to do this. But when I got out there and I went up and as I was getting closer and people, I started noticing the people coming back towards me and I'm looking like, wait a minute, I got to run back in the opposite direction. I was just thinking that I was just going to push it forward, push it forward. But I thought about in my mind, all that I already left behind me. Like, it's no way I'm going to be able to do this whole thing go all the way because I was looking like for the person that you know they're handing the water so you can go back and for some reason I couldn't see the person I'm running I still couldn't see the person so lo and behold who comes up you have been finished the race you have been finished the race you was on the side you was eating oranges drinking water busting it up and I guess you saw me out the corner of your eye and I was running and you came up beside me and I was like, I can't do it. I'm, I'm too tired. And you were the one and you ran right next to me and you gave me so much encouragement along the way. And you was like, you can do it. You can do it. Just keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. Don't stop. So then you told me, you said, look straight ahead. And I saw the, 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 pillars that were up well the flags that were up and in the timer machine and everything and you was like take off and I didn't know what came over me because I was ready to collapse but it's like when you see that finish line and you are know what you're gonna you know I did it that adrenaline hits you and you bam you just you just take off so I thanked you then I'm thanking you again now. You are a major inspiration to so many. And I just want you to know that you're very inspirational to me. I appreciate you coming back and helping me finish that race. I'm telling you, it did, a, it did a lot for my mental, you know, um, because so many times we block ourselves from achieving. And, you know, while I was doing all of this working out and preparing, I got to the race and I'm in the middle like, yeah, I can't, I, I can't do it. But you gave me the confidence and the inspiration to go ahead and get across that line and get what I came for. So I truly, truly appreciate you. And I wouldn't want to do a couple of races, but no marathons, no half marathons. I am not a maniac. I'm okay. <laughs> I could do without it. So 
we're going to um, briefly talk about, and then we're going to um, get out of here and go. You're on the show with, you're on the Diva Show with Dave Scarpello on Sador Radio. How about that? See, look, I think I could piece it together just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. So we talked in the opening of the show and we're going to talk about it. Um, you made a major move. You moved from, I, honestly, I didn't think that you would ever move because I know how much you love Philadelphia. And I know I love Philadelphia myself. I have different reasons why I'm staying in Philadelphia. Um, but you made the move. Tell us about that. And how has it been for you since you made the move? So it's been amazing. Just amazing and blessed. Like every day. Like I thought like perfect example. And I just posted this right before we started recording on Facebook. August 18th of 2021. Last year, a year ago today, I was homeless. Today... August 18th, 2022, my landlord just sent me a new contract to renew my lease for another year. And on top of that, not only what that represents, but my rent went up on top of that. And not that it's not gonna make my money tighter, but I have a cushion so that it was not great. I'm not happy about it, but it's not catastrophic. Yes. So I went from where am I gonna live it's gonna be cold soon. I gotta figure something out. And now a year later, I'm renewing the lease on the apartment I really like in a neighborhood I like, in a city I like, in a state I like. Like Philly will always be home, but like this is where I'm supposed to be right now. And and it took faith in God. Well, first of all, it took faith in God for all this to happen. That's where, like, look, everything that's happened to me in life, and you talk about my confidence, a lot of that comes from understanding that there is some greater power on some level that's better than me that's helping me out. Because I didn't run a marathon after being told I'd never walk again strictly as a human being on a human level. Like that involves divine intervention, which I knew was there. So everything that I, that I do, it's and it's and it probably sounds crazy to people coming from me to know me and how wild I've been, but I've always been spiritual, and and I feel like there's just always been a spiritual aspect to everything that I've done in life, and and that's really what I what I draw upon. Well, and let me say this faith and mental health professionals, because I avail myself to both. I go okay. to therapy. If I need medication, I would take medication. Uh, I'm a big believer in talking about what's going on, especially as men with our mental health. You know, I think, I think it's like, to me, you can't just say, yeah, I go to church. God got me. That's, that's great, but then you also need to put in the work on your own level, on the human level, right? Like God, you know, God got you spiritually, but we still need to do the work. Mm -hmm. so men, and men need to know there's no reason to be embarrassed because if you, if you think about it, and when people ask me, like, why do you speak about 
that you suffer from mental illness and you're not embarrassed. And I was like, why should I be embarrassed? I'm not embarrassed that I had three back surgeries, right? That's part of my health. That's part of my, my brain chemistry. And, and, and especially, I think, if, if we really stop to think about it like this, right? It's not just individuals like me that suffer from post-traumatic stress. There's entire communities that suffer from PTSD that don't know it, right? So you can't witness the horrific violence that we've all witnessed growing up in Philadelphia at the time that in place that we grew up. And, and, and not be affected by violence. And you know, how many times you see me, I'm going to a funeral, my boy died, is it, right? It's just like, it's, it's yeah. nonstop. Like I've been to so many funerals for murdered friends that I lost count somewhere over a hundred, right? And it wasn't until much later in life that I realized like, that's not normal. Right. So, right. so, so yeah, I, I've had suffered so much loss that of course I have PTSD. There'd be something wrong with me if I didn't. And the only difference between me and all of my people I grew up in the street with, as far as that goes, is that I have an official diagnosis and they didn't. Because the same blood wow. got me, got all my boys when our boy got shot and killed, right? It, mm -hmm. Of course it affected them. They got blood on them just like I did. I'm just... Unfortunately, the only one that I'm aware of that 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 saw it, you know, any any help for it, and that's why I drive home the point because w without like mental health, like taking it seriously, and and using the, the mental health care facilities and and the doctors, I wouldn't be here. I'd be dead because I've had suicide attempts, and I'm not I'm not ashamed of that either because. Everybody at one point has felt that darkness is unfortunately some of us have felt it more than others. And and, right. and also the reason why I speak out and I and I told you this recently is because I fundamentally just like helping other people if I can and it's free. Right? Okay. That's just karma, paying it forward, whatever you want to call it. But then it's also therapeutic for me because it, it, it gives me purpose to my, or more purpose in my life because, you know, I've endured like a ridiculous amount of pain and suffering in my life and had like a lot of bad stuff happen to me and I've witnessed a lot of bad things. And it just. Listen, I, it, 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 it does bring you at a loss for words because one of the things that you mentioned is PTSD. I don't think that people realize that these um, incidents, these shootouts that these children are witnessing causes them PTSD. And the child may act out and they'll just think, oh, they're just missing the person. No, it could be that every time they close their eyes, they're looking at that same scene again. And um, it's um, it has become overkill, so to speak. It's it you know um, when I say that it, it's a play on words, unfortunately, but it's senseless. Our children are witnessing it, and they don't know how to handle it. And they, I mean, a lot of adults don't know how to handle it or process it either. So um, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um,
but I will say there have been some things that you're doing right now that is actually something that you first saw that was going to be great with the beer brewing company. Right. Of the non-alcoholic beer. Right. And that in itself, that I'm affiliated with non-alcoholic beer to a lot of people is probably hilarious because they know me as a dude that like to drink 40s old English all the time. Right. So um, that also like the whole journey, it just like it just flowed organically because I ran the race on the whim and that led to me running marathons and becoming known as a runner and I started running in 2014. In 2018, my race times had kind of plateaued. And I was trying to figure out an advantage to be a better athlete, have better overall health so that I could run faster. And I had a good diet. I exercised. I slept right. Um, the only thing I could think of that was obvious was like, oh, just cut out alcohol. Um, which like I drank like everybody else, but to me it was like, oh, yeah, not a big deal. The, the only thing I was upset about was, oh, that means I have to drink non-alcoholic beer because I love the way beer tastes. So it was like, I'm ready to give up alcohol, but I'm not really ready to give up the taste of beer. And that's probably, to be honest, if, if I would have found good non-alcoholic beer, to, I might have switched two years earlier uh, wow yeah so I finally was just like no let me see if that makes a difference and and it did and and for me and I alluded to this earlier talking about uh coming off the the pain medications luckily I don't have the addictive gene okay you know yeah that's so, a blessing so when I said I'm just gonna stop drinking I just and just stopped and that was it and it was like not like not just went about my business so i looked for non-alcoholic beers on google and was like please let there be advances since back in the day because you know when you initially most people think of non-alcoholic beer you think of it as like a, like a punishment like yeah you know like it's, it's just right Let me like, just go get this beer so i'm not drinking beer right right so I looked and and I was surprised that there were all these like little breweries popping up that were either only making non-alcoholic beer or were starting to offer a non-alcoholic version of one of their beers and because it's non-alcoholic it can be shipped so I was able to have them just delivered right to my house and athletic brewing company turned out to be the one that i like the best like I thought they made the best non-alcoholic beer and I knew the first time I tasted it was like now I'm set for life because now I now I have this like even if they never make another style like just keep that like athletic run wild IPA coming and and I'll like I'll be good because this is like legitimate beer so then I'm like instantly a super customer and they advertised not about two months after I found out about them in 2018, they were looking for uh, brand ambassadors. They wanted amateur athletes 
to promote them because you know they was founded in 2017, but we didn't actually sell our first can of beer until 2018. So I literally stopped drinking just as they were starting to produce it. So I was one of their initial customers. I was one of their first ambassadors. And that's great timing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I saw very quickly, I was like, this company that no one's ever heard of that only makes non-alcoholic beer in Connecticut is going to blow up. And I would love, like, how amazing would it be if I could be a part of it, like, as an employee? But still, like, that was beyond the realm of possibility. So I just stayed in my role as an ambassador. And then it got to the point where I became, like, one of their, uh, like, I was one of their core group of original ambassadors. So I was kind of an OG ambassador. They liked what I did for them. I liked the corporate culture of the company. and. You know, I had people around me that were uh, encouraging me and were like, and, and it's funny because I know, right? I know, I, I know exactly the face you're going to make when I tell you this, you're going to smile. Because they basically said, I, I said, how am I going to try to go back to work, let alone work for Athletic Brewing Company, which is like the most amazing company. I'm just going to start at the top. And I was like, Who's going to hire me? I was like, I'm 55 years old. I haven't worked in 18 years. I've been on, on disability. It's the middle of a global pandemic. And somebody said, yeah, but don't you know, you're Dave Scarpello. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> right? And I was like, and then, so it never, but so here's the thing, right? As strong as everybody's like, you're strong, you do and I am, I'm definitely strong and I'm tough, but I don't do it alone, right? So like, you don't see a woman by my side, like I don't have kids, like I'm just like, I don't have a roommate. So, you know, most people see me and think of me like solo, like I'm like the army of one, but that's not like, I'm more like the, like the front man for a band, you know, like you might be more familiar with my face, but like, if I don't have, if, if I don't have the band behind me, nobody's coming out to just hear me singing. So like, there's people behind the scenes making it happen. And that's my friends. That's, that's you, that, that's so many people from Franklin Learning Center, from hip hop, from running, just from Philly, Connecticut, like all over. That's awesome. That, yeah, that people don't see the support system I have is amazing. And that's why I do that friend I'm proud of um, series, because I know what it's like to be in a spotlight. And it does feel nice. And it's nice to be appreciated, right? Yes. I get it all the time. And I feel like I know what that feels like. I would like to, at least for one day, allow somebody else to experience that that deserves it because I have you you read them I have so many amazing friends I mean look at yes. you I'm on your podcast you're a filmmaker you're my friend amazing you're right amazing, so amazing friends say it again I have so many amazing friends for real and, and, you know, I, like I said, you're such an inspiration. You're amazing to me. I, I love you and I appreciate you. And um, I, I, I know that we knew each other prior to Amy Six, but 
I love Franklin Learning Center for um, so many different reasons. And they brought so many of us together that we're still lifelong friends. And not many that attended high school at the same high school can say that. Now you might see pockets of people or what have you that may still hang together, or what have you, but you know, FLC was definitely different. They taught us a culture of friendship, um, respect and appreciation of each other. And I think being in the arts and sciences actually helped that along um, with, of course, Mel, um, Julius, McCullough, Faye Snow, Marty and Melroy, um, Melvin Williams, as I said. So, you know, shout out to all of them and all of the other teachers at Franklin Learning Center then and now that helped us along the way. And um, like I said, Dave, listen, keep doing what you're doing. I know I'm not the only person that has noticed. I know I'm not the only person that you have inspired. And I know many people are very touched by your light. So thank you. And can I just, the one thing I do want to say, make sure I get out there. Yes. So that's why I said I appreciate you and, and the forum to share my story. And I explained why I like to share it. So if there's anything I said during this whole podcast or resonates with anybody, if it's questions about contracts in the music business, if it's about men's mental health, if it's about running, if there's something that I might have something of value you feel to add to your situation, don't hesitate to reach out. I like it, it helps me to help other people. Let's see. There you go, being amazing again. <laughs> well. It was truly a blessing and um, a pleasure to have you on the Diva Show today. Everyone, um, just as he said, is Dave Scarpello. If you have a question, and I'm sure that, you know, he'll be able to shed some light and give you some answers or steer you, steer you in the right direction for the answer. So I do want to thank you, Dave, for being a part of the Diva Show. And you. I Love wish you nothing but the best. And we'll be talking, of course. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank so this you. is, oh, you're welcome. Is is there, there anything else you want to say to the audience before we go? No, I just want to say I love you. That's it. All right. I love you back. All right. This is Diva Gordon with the Diva Show. Y'all already know how I end. This is love, peace, and hair grease.